don't watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Join me the show this week. As ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. Uh, we're in for a massive show this week, aren't we? Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. An incredible bout. The Predator arguably winning this one in what would have been the greatest upset, perhaps, in combat sports history. We're going to be talking all things Rugby League, a bit of the World Cup final, I imagine, as well. All things football, Manchester United losing to Manchester City in pretty devastating fashion. And we've got three big interviews. Manchester United women's captain Katie Zellum, MMA fighter and Octagon star Jack Cartwright. And the first ever Irish fighter to compete in the UFC, Mr Paddy Houlihan. Should be a great show. Yeah, looking forward to it, James. There's only one place to start though, is with the boxing this week, and that's Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, took on the former UFC heavyweight in a moment of pure horror, got knocked down by him. Utterly mental stuff, James. I can't believe it, Rob. This is one of those fights where a lot of the boxing public abstained because of how one-sided it was meant to be. Mm. Francis Ngannou, a man who has never boxed in his life, granted he's competed within the realms of UFC, but to go into a boxing ring in your debut performance, and not only compete with, but knock down and arguably beat the world heavyweight champion is an absolutely mammoth achievement for Francis Ngannou. However, a lot of this comes down to Tyson Fury, his inactivity, his lack of interest in maintaining fighting shape because if you look at the press conferences he's been out of it on numerous occasions piling on the weight not looking in tip-top condition as he should as an athlete and over the years this has been a trend in his career in between the fights he's ballooned up and it seems like it might be finally catching up with him but regardless that moment when Francis Ngarni put Tyson Fury down he shook up the world I've never seen anything quite like it yeah, could have been the biggest upset of all times, James. Um, it was an amazing moment. Obviously, the whole world seemed to stop and, and look. And, you know, we talk about boxing. We talk about, you know, the actual sort of contest and uh, how it scored and how people's views about it. Who do you think really won? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to cry a robbery, but a lot of people had Francis Ngarni winning. Some is wide by two, three rounds, and that is just incredible. You look at Tyson Fury and possibly landed the more shots throughout the duration of the fight, but everything substantial came from Francis Ngannou. That moment, that left hook, will live with people forever. That image that's now plastered all over social media of Francis above Tyson doing a little dance. He said in one particular interview that before they touch gloves and before they headed back to the corners, Fury said that he was going to take him to school, he was going to teach him, and Francis Ngannou said he's not a particularly good professor because I was the one that knocked him down. <laughs> it's it, it's mental. I mean, this is a guy who had no business being in the ring with Fury. This is a matchup that everybody critiqued based around the fact that Tyson Fury avoided Anthony Joshua, avoided Alexander Usyk, fought Derek Chisora, a man he'd already beaten extremely comfortably two times over, and opted for a man he never laced up a pair of bot singles before. So the fact that this is even in the realms of who won, who didn't win, etc., is incredible in and of itself. If I had to edge one way right now, it would be Francis Ngarni, but it's ludicrous. And Rob, you were talking about this fight with Paul last week, and Paul, we all know, the greatest jab in Greater Manchester, is very <laughs> much our boxing expert on the yes. show. And he, like me, 
said that this wasn't going to be a competitive fight, that this isn't one that grasped his imagination. So for you going into this, knowing what me and Paul had told you, that on paper this should have been a mismatch, for him to go down, it must have given you an almighty shock. Yeah, I was, I couldn't believe it, James. I was like, whoa, where's that come from? And obviously all the, the words ringing in my ears from from, from Paul and, and like for yourself talking about, you know, how Tyson Fury was, you know, the, the biggest thing in boxing, the biggest draw and, and taking this, UFC uh, fighter on where he wasn't a big name, he was unknown, and for him to knock Tyson down, you know, it's, it was a massive moment for everybody. The whole world seemed to stop uh, and look, and it kind of won. You wonder sort of what what happens next, really, for him. Uh, you know, we we talk about um, Tyson Fury, and you know his weight issues and, and not inactivity over the last sort of few months. You know, did he did he look past uh, his best? Do you think? Yeah, uh, I think so, Rob. It's difficult to say, obviously, because there's going to be this element of, did he take him seriously? If you look at his body conditioning, no. However, if you abuse your physical being, they say your body's a temple for a reason, right? If you keep abusing that, eventually you're going to fall foul. And we've seen it to, with the likes of Ricky Hatton and other fighters. Tyson has got away with treating his body horrendously and not living like an athlete because he's so freakishly talented. Hmm. But now that's catching up with him. The movement's gone, and it's difficult. He was able to just about see out the 10 rounds for Francis Ngarni, but you get in there with Deontay Wilder, you get in there with Anthony Joshua, you get in there with Alexander Usyk, you get him beat. He relies wholeheartedly on movement, and granted, he has got the boxing skill to back everything up. He has, but he's not a particularly powerful puncher, and if he can't move as well, if he's stuck in the mud, he's going to be very limited when it comes on taking on these bigger guys, and if you look at Usyk, for example, somebody who moves like a jigsaw puzzle, like a Rubik's Cube. We always say on these show that he's a completely unsolvable problem. Nobody's quite figured out the, the magic key, the password to breaking Alexander Rusek. Tyson Fury, without his movement, he's not going to be able to do it. And over the years, I've seen him. I still stand on the hill, and I will die here, that Tyson Fury's best performance was against Vladimir Klitschko in Dusseldorf in 2015. That's how long ago it was now. And obviously, he had that big spark of the ring. He came back, and he put in those performances over Wilder. But as impressive as they were, I still don't think that version of Fury is as good as the one that beat Klitschko. And while it wasn't the most entertaining fight, for me, he was still mesmerising that night because he completely nullified an all-time great. Going in against Wilder, he didn't have as much to deal with. In essence, he has to avoid a big right hand. Other than that, it's pretty smooth sailing. And you saw in the third Wilder fight, he looked like he'd slowed down a little bit. And then he takes on Dillian White and then Derek Chisora. Chisora, he could have beaten 10 times out of 10. He knows exactly how to do it. And against Dillian White, he looked a little bit slower. Not an awful performance by any stretch of the imagination. He actually looked quite impressive en route to winning. But for me, the miles on the clock are beginning to add up. And there is this saying that some fighters can get old overnight. And it can just happen. And there's no turning the clock back. He could have got old overnight against Francis Ngarni. Mm. Boxing is big business, James. You know, there's... Uh calls for a rematch you think that should happen look i think the overwhelming outcry is that francis and garni won this fight therefore in a just world which you know we don't always live in but i'd like to think we can do francis and garni deserves an opportunity of redemption here for a lot of people i know the wbc title wasn't on the line but now there's calls to say that this man's the best heavyweight on the planet He's just arguably beaten a man 
over the distance as well. And that is interesting because when he's fought Dillian White or Steve Cunningham or Deontay Wilder or whoever he's been in with, there's always that power for it, isn't there? The way Deontay Wilder or Dylan White or these mega punches were going to beat Tyson Fury was nailing him to the canvas. That's how a lot of us saw it. So the idea that Francis Ngannou didn't even need to do that, granted there was the knockdown, but the fact that he was able to beat him seemingly over points is a real worry for Fury because that's his wheelhouse. If it had gone down and then boxed Francis Ngannou's head off for the next 10 rounds, that would have been one thing. It would have been an embarrassing blunder, but he would have got the job done. This is more worrying because Fury's incredible boxing brain wasn't enough to see out a victory against Francis Ngannou. And realistically, with that Alexander Usyk bout already signed, Francis was never getting the decision. In all reality, me and Paul have spoken long and hard on this show and we've come to the conclusion of what of what boxing is. It's a business and Francis Ngannou wasn't going to get that decision and he's admitted that himself. Fury, for me, is coming towards the end of the tracks. He's a ticking time bomb. If he wants to fight Usyk, he needs to do it now or not at all. What's Ngannou's sort of weight compared to the likes of Usyk and Joshua? Are they, is he heavier? Is he bigger? Did Fury struggle with sort of fighting a fighter who's, you know, as big a frame or bigger than his usual uh, opponents? To answer that, Rob, it's a very interesting question that you ask, and it comes with a lot of merit because usually when Tyson Fury's fighting people, he's got a big strength advantage. Mm. He weighs extremely heavy. He leans all over his opponents. That's how he beat Deontay Wilder. He just leaned all over him, applied that body weight, and eventually Wilder got tired. He wasn't able to do that with Francis Ngannou because of size and also Ngannou's skills within the clinch. When Tyson Fury tried to wrestle him, he was getting ragdolled. Francis Ngannou was winning those exchanges, landing short shots inside the pocket, especially towards the back end of the fight. So I do think he struggled with the athlete that Francis Ngannou is. And this is interesting enough because this was a boxing fight. Had it been an MMA fight, we all know what would have happened. Francis Ngannou would have won. However... There isn't even a single extra advantage you could have given to Francis Ngannou that wouldn't have drastically changed the outcome. You give him ground and pound where Fury goes down, he would have won. You put it in a cage, he would have won. You give them smaller gloves, he would have won. It had to be the absolute perfect setup for Tyson Fury to win. And he still arguably didn't do that. He struggled with the size of Ngannou, absolutely. He is an absolute freak, a powerhouse. However... Five, six fights ago, would that have happened? I still don't think so. Mm. It's interesting times ahead uh, in the boxing world. Lots of razzmatazz as well uh, at the at the ringside. Famous faces for all to see. Yeah, there was, Rob. Um, there was Cristiano Ronaldo. There was Kanye West. There was every single boxing and combat sports icon you can think of, from Ricky Hatton to Manny Pacquiao, Roberto Duran, Chuck Liddell. They were all there. The interesting thing is, though, Rob, is that it was in Saudi Arabia. Mm. This is a country that paid these fighters a fortune to come over. And it's realistically, it's sports washing at its finest, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing so many of these big events going over to Saudi. We're ignoring the human rights atrocities that are occurring there. The same way the World Cup got a lot of stick for going to Qatar when all the migrant workers died building the stadium. So there is this massive issue within this. Uh, Personally, for me, I'm not a massive fan of it. The whole big production side of it, where they had to do a half an hour performance, a concert, not really into that. I remember a few years ago, actually, when Tyson Fury did fight Klitschko in Dusseldorf. They had Rod Stewart on, but he still had the self-awareness to do one song and get off. This, we had to 
we had to watch it for what felt like forever and people were bored. But obviously Saudi are trying to build this reputation for the big events. And Tyson Fury, somebody who at one point cared about legacy, cared about being the best. He only cares about money now. And it's it's a damning sight to say. Hmm. Is that not entertainment though, James? Obviously they want to produce this fine event of, you know, music and dance and boxing and, you know, beam it out across the world for everyone to enjoy. They've got your pay your pay per view subscribers who are putting lots of money in. They want to see a show as well. Is that and they're not providing a service for, for everyone to enjoy? I get what you're saying, Rob, but there's a certain element of you just want to get on with it, don't you? I mean, when you're when you're at a boxing event, you sort of just want the fights to keep coming. That that period where you're sat and you're waiting is so annoying. And if you've come and you've flown in for this big heavyweight spectacle, you don't want people like breakdancing on stage, I don't think, necessarily. <laughs> what does um, Auntie Joshua think about all this, Jack? He must be furious that he hasn't had the opportunity to fight Tyson Fury himself because he would have beaten Tyson on that performance. Tyson wouldn't have been able to get out of the way of Joshua's punches. Obviously, throughout his entire career, he has made his whole worth on being able to do just that. And unfortunately, if that movement isn't there anymore, Tyson Anthony Joshua, who's a great combination puncher, would have put would have put Tyson out. I mean, I know over the years he's become a little bit overtrained and he's got rid of his top attributes. But if you can just re-round the clock a little bit, Anthony Joshua, off that performance, it was an easy fight for him. And now you've got to wonder, where is Tyson Fury in these heavyweight rankings? I mean, how far down has he spiraled? Yeah, you talk about his legacy. You talk about that lots. Is this the end for Tyson Fury, do you think? Had Tyson Fury retired after the second Deontay Wilder fight or the Dillian White fight, he would have gone down as an all-time great. Mm. You've got this man who defeats Vladimir Klitschko, a 10-year undefeated king, Ends up spiralling into depression, puts on an outrageous amount of weight, starts taking drink and drugs, and then stands as an advocate for mental health as he drops it all, comes back, defeats another long-reigning heavyweight champion, the most dangerous puncher in boxing history, then settles the score with Dillian White and Manny beating him up in sparring. It was the perfect fairy tale ending. He'd gone from this figure who was hated by the casual public who couldn't sell out the Manchester Arena for his rematch with Vladimir Klitschko, which ended up getting sorted out, to a man who could sell Wembley Stadium to fight Dillian White, to a man now who has lost the respect of the hardcore fans because of the way he set these fake deadlines for Anthony Joshua and then happily gave Derek Chisora all the time in the world to sign a third fight, then messed Alexander Usyk around, started banging on and on and on about money, did everybody's heads in, and now this legacy, especially after this arguable loss, to Francis Ngannou, it's on the bottom of a pan, Rob. It's, it's, it's in a terrible state. Mm. Let's talk about the other fights on the cold main event. There was a massive collision of uh, British heavyweight title. Uh, one of the boxers punched the ref. Talk us through that, James. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it, Rob? Especially yeah. for yourself, somebody who comes from this hardcore rugby fanatic background where you respect the referee. Mm. In this instance, we've got a man who is battered from a pillar to a post, gets knocked down heavily, by his opponent. This is David Adelaide we're talking about here. Gets up, gets finished by Fabio Wardley in quite conclusive fashion and then punches the referee. I mean, we criticise boxing officials regularly on this show, from the judges to the referees and whatever, whatever else. But you still can't hit the referee, especially 
when the stoppage is pretty legitimate, Rob. I mean, from your background, from this rugby fan, could you imagine a rugby player hitting the referee? Yeah, there's no there's no game without referees, is there? You know, people have, you know, get upset, don't they, about decisions that they make. And we're all very one-eyed when it comes to your team, aren't you, uh, in certain situations. So, yeah, you do need to respect the officials. There isn't a game without them. And, yeah, it, it did sort of open my eyes when, when I heard about that. Talk about the other fights. Joseph Parker, uh, he won in the third via a massive overcut. Uh, he's uh, certainly making name for himself. He is. It's good to see Joseph Parker looking brutal. I mean, in his last couple of performances against Fager to Django Upperloo, and this one here against Keane, he's looked back to his best. He looked in good nick, which is great to see, because for me, he's been a little bit heavy for his last few fights. I mean, I remember in about 2016 watching Joseph Parker on an early morning, because that's when they were, because his fights were in New Zealand, so we got them at about sort of 11 or so. That's not that early, I suppose, but you get to sit down with your lunch and, or your dinner and you get to watch some great heavyweight boxing action. I really enjoyed those periods. And he fought Carlos Takam, who was actually on this Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou undercard, but we'll get to him. And he produced a sparkling performance that night. There was elements of distress and trouble for him, but he boxed through them. His hand speed looked incredible, and there was so much hype behind this man. There was so much expectation. And in his big fight since then, he's froze. He didn't perform brilliantly against Anthony Joshua. He left it too little too late against Dillian White. He loses the first Derek Chisora fight and gets a gift on the judges' scorecards, manages to produce a great performance in the rematch. He's lacked that venom. He's lacked that fighting edge. However, in his last two fights, it looks like it's slowly coming back. At this stage of his career, he's got one more run at the belt to make. He's got to make it count. But these are the sort of performances we want to see from him. Anything else of note on the undercard, James, finally? There was a few heavyweight fights. Mac Mudoff. A Russian guy who a lot of people wanted to see in with Fury. Uh, he looked good, went in inside a round. Moses Atumo went inside a round. And then we had Kolos Takam versus Martin Bacoli. Takam a lot older than he was in 2016 when he fought Parker. But still a solid fight. And he was wiped out quite quickly from Bacoli, who came in at, I think, 300 pounds. Pretty, pretty heavy. But allegedly, he wasn't able to train or spar. So that was possibly the explanation for why he came in so much heavier. Regardless, a great win for him. And sad to see Carlos Takam like that. I would have given him a little bit longer, but it did look like the writing was on the wall. Yeah, interesting times ahead uh, for him now, James. We've got uh, interviews uh, here now. What Talk us through them. Yeah, we've got some great ones. So to give a bit of context to this, Manchester United women's captain Katie Zellum went down to the Wayfarer gym in Manchester to meet Mr. Jack Cartwright, an absolute killer in the bantamweight division, fighting for a promotion called Octagon. They are bringing their debut show to the UK on November 4th at the Manchester Arena. He's fighting in a number one contender's bout. The two got together, hit pads, gelled, taught Manchester United. It was a great experience to watch these two titans of the sporting world collide. However, I got some time with Katie, which was absolutely fantastic. She taught all things football, all things fighting, and even offered out Lionel Messi. So without further ado... This is Katie Zellum. I'm delighted to be here with Manchester United captain Katie Zellum. You've been in the cage with Jack Cartwright, hitting the pads. You look ferocious. What did you make of it all? <laughs> I'm glad you thought I looked ferocious. <laughs> um, it's amazing. I love embracing myself in a new sport. I think Jack's obviously a good teacher because I have no experience whatsoever. Obviously, Jack, a fantastic athlete. He's been putting you through your paces. If you weren't a footballer, could you imagine yourself getting into this cage? 
Um, I'm not sure that I'm. I've got the qualities to be in the cage. Maybe, um, maybe with a bit of practice and Jack's help. You never know. Obviously, because you're magic on the ball for Manchester, and I'm going to give you a magic one, right? If you could fight anybody in the world, they can be real, they can be fictional. Who would you get in with? That is a tough question. Um, maybe I would fight. This is a really hard question, actually. Who did Jack say? Jack, I gave Jack completely different questions. He didn't give me anybody for you, but who should we fight? What, what TV shows are you into? We'll come, we'll come up with a character. Um, do you know what I really like? Lupin. But I'm not too sure I would stand a chance fighting against him. Well, the fact is you've reached the highest levels of football, so you need to stop backing yourself. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I could fight a fellow footballer like Messi. Messi would be a good fight. Yeah. You're probably taller than Messi as well. <laughs> Obviously, Jack, I was asking him if he could compare himself to any footballer. He said Martinez. Is there a footballer that springs to mind that you can compare him to? Um, do you know what? I would actually totally go with that. I feel like he's quite small. He's got, like, ferociousness. Like, he seems really passionate. So I'm, I'm going to back him on that one. Fantastic. Obviously, it's been great for you to get in the cage to see what this sport is like. November 4th, it's coming to Manchester. Are you going to be there on the night? Um, I've actually got Brighton away, um, which I wish I could be here to support Jack. Um, the furthest trip possible in England, and that's uh, the day after the fight. But I'll definitely be watching. You've done amazing things for Manchester United, such an inspiration. Obviously, the Champions League didn't go the way you wanted it to, but what's it like for you to represent Manchester United in these amazing competitions, a club you supported from being a young girl? Yeah, it's incredible. I think I've grown up being around Manchester United, supporting Manchester United, playing for Manchester United as a kid, and to make so much history so far, just getting into the Champions League for us was uh, something the club hadn't achieved on the women's side yet. So. For me, representing my childhood club and being able to captain the side is like a dream come true. And we know your dad, a professional footballer in his own right in his day. How proud is he of everything you've achieved? Yeah, he's so proud. Yesterday the game finished and he was in Paris and the first thing he said to me was, I'm so proud of you. And I think that means even more when someone's been there and done it. And my dad's played at Wembley, so for him to know that experience and say how proud he is of me just means that extra bit. So what was your childhood like when you first started playing football? Possibly a stigma back then, which we're trying to eradicate as best as we can. What was life like for you? Were you out on the streets playing cuppies, playing one bounce, doing all that sort of thing? Um, yeah, we were all trying. We always take our jumpers off, put them on the floor as well, to make some goals. And a lot of the uh, kids on the street were boys. So for me, that's why I started playing football. And in school, everyone else was playing football and I would go in my little skirt and uh, join in and all my friends would sit on the side and wait for me and I think all my friends were so accepting like they wanted me on the team and it was until you played against other teams where like parents would sometimes like shout stuff onto you from the sidelines and you're like six seven eight years old and there's like grown adults shouting to you like on the sideline and for me that is something I don't ever want to happen again and I'm so glad there's pathways for the girls coming through now. I mean, obviously, pre-war women's football used to be absolutely massive. I'm from Preston, where the Dicker ladies used to do big bits. Now it seems, with everything you're doing with United, with what the Lionesses are doing, it seems like women's football is getting right up there with the men's again. Yeah, that's our aim, to be honest. Like you said, uh, all them years ago, it actually started with women's football and the crowds back then were incredible. I think you've got to pay homage to the the ladies that uh, paved the way for where we are now and for us we just want to get it as 
high as we can and rise it as much in population, in accessibility and girls that are able to play, I think it shouldn't it shouldn't just be isolated to gender, area, whatever it may be. So for us, we want as many girls playing and see as many fans as possible. Okay, I really appreciate you giving me some time today. It's been fantastic to speak to you and to see you in the cage with Jack. Before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to add? And obviously, I think Jack owes you one. He's trained you today. When are you going to take him on the football field? Yeah, maybe uh, I can have a game of uh, two-touch with him and see how he does, I think. For me, um, I just want to get behind Jack, um, a Manchester lad. And for I think everybody from Manchester knows how much it means to, to be from here and how proud we are of the city. So um, Manchester's produced a lot of uh, sporting winners and I'm sure Jack's going to be the next. Terrific stuff there, Rob. I mean, we know she's a sporting titan within the world of football. Would you fancy her to take on Lionel Messi? She'd have to catch him first, wouldn't he? He's very nippy, he's very small. I'm not sure whether she'd be able to pin him down, but you know, you know, the the week of boxing shocks, uh, James, you never know. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Robert. I didn't think about that—the idea that you'd actually have to chase Lionel Messi to get him to do a fight. I can imagine him sort of wearing a mask and being a sort of Rey Mysterio West type figure. Mm. It's it's one of them, James. You'd have to you'd have to organise it. You could be the fixer. I would be. I would. I would happily promote this belt, Rob. It would bring me great pleasure. I'm not sure if it would get sanctioned or Lionel Messi has any interest in taking me up on this offer, but I would like to promote that. But without further ado, let's move on to Jack Cartwright. Giving a little background on him, a former Cage Warriors champion, now in Octagon. He obviously loved speaking to Casey, being a big Manchester United fan. He's looking to make a splash at the Manchester Arena. And if you're ever wondering about fighters comparing themselves to footballers, Jack gave a great explanation as to why he's like Lissandro Martinez. So, this is everything that Jack Cartwright had to say. Right, I'm delighted to be here with Jack Cartwright ahead of an absolutely massive fight at Octagon 48 at the Manchester Arena. But first, you've been putting Katie Zellum, Manchester United star, through her paces. How did she get on? Yeah, she did good, mate. Very good. Um, like I said, she's a quick learner. She picked it up. She picked it up well. She's fast. Um, like I said, listen to instructions well. She, she's good, mate. Very good. She's a bit of a natural athlete. We know that. Do you think she could transition to the world of fighting one day? I think she could. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, she didn't seem too keen on it, to be honest, though. But when she started throwing her punches, she was, um, she was pretty sharp. So I think uh, when she's playing football, people better, better be nice to her or she'll stick her, she'll stick her backhand on them. And we know you love Manchester United. What's it like to be around somebody who represents them at such a high level? Yeah, it's good, mate. She's an elite athlete. Do you know what I mean? She represents uh, Man United at a very high level. Um, and like I said, she's, she's very down-to-earth, good human being at the end of the day. So it's been a pleasure to meet her, to be honest. And we know you're a big Manchester United fan. Obviously, you're exceptionally violent in the cage. But if you were to compare yourself to a Manchester United footballer, who would it be? Uh, probably Martinez. Probably Lissandro Martinez at the minute, like you said. I'm not like the biggest in stature, but like I said, I'm pretty violent, so... We'll go with Martinez. That's a fantastic comparison. Hopefully you can use that Martinez violence when you take on Rakic at the Manchester Arena. What do you make of him as a fighter and how are you going to break him down? Um, I, think he's, I think he's very good. I think he's good. He's one of the top guys in the division. He's small. Um, I think he's like five foot six. Um, he's pretty stacked, pretty muscular build. Um, good conditioning. He's had a lot of fights. He's experienced. But I think I'll be um, just too good for him. I think I'll be too better in every single area. Um, of the fight um, and I think that I'll be way too much and by the time he realises he'll be too late because he'll be locked in in front of um, the home crowd 
um, getting his head pinged off. So by the time he realises that, it'll be too late and I'll be getting my hand raised. It's obviously a massive card. So many great fighters. You're the hometown lad on this one. The fans coming out. Can't wait to see you in there. We've seen so many great fighters over the years. Ricky Hatton's headline there. Michael Bisping's headline there. And now you're adding your name to this incredible lineup of fighters. Growing up, massive um, MMA fan, obviously. That's what I do for a living. And I'm a massive boxing fan. Um, like I said, grew up idolising people like Ricky Hatton. So getting to go there and fight on massive shows where he got to beat people like Kostya Zoo. Um, it's a bit of a dream come true to be fair, like I said before, if you'd have told me that at like seven, eight years old, even from being that young, I'd have bit your hand off, so I'm just trying to like soak it all up and um, just go out there and put on a good performance. It's amazing because you've already done great things in your career, a Cage Warriors champion, you've now got an opportunity with this being a number one contender's bout to get to that octagon title shot. Obviously Lima the champion right now, Jonas Magard is in the pipeline too, I know he's said a few things about you on social media, a good trash talker, I bet you can't wait to get in the cage with one of those two guys and fight for the title. Um, I don't really know what um, Jonas has said, if he said anything about me um, on social media, but um, uh I'd definitely fight Jonas, I'd fight him any day of the week um, and I think that um, Lima, I've only seen, I just saw clips of him fighting, the, the Magard fight, Jonas fight and he just looked like he ran Jonas over to be fair, he seems like a bit of a cardio machine, comes forward, throws loads of punches, mixes in the takedowns um, and he just battered Jonas um, and I think that on the flip side of that if it took him five rounds to do that to Jonas, um, Jonas wouldn't see five rounds of me, I'd stop Jonas, um, strikes. I think, I'd, I think I'd beat Jonas up. Um, Lima, um, I've only ever seen the one fight, but I saw Jonas hitting him with clean punches. And if Jonas hits him with clean punches, if I hit him with clean punches, he's going to get put to sleep. Um, but them two can park it. I'm not too bothered about them. I'm bothered about Ratchic. Um, he's all I'm focused on. I've got full respect for him. Um, and he's my problem come November 4th, and I'm going to deal with him good and proper. That's fantastic. Jack, thanks so much for giving me some of your time today. I'm obviously massively looking forward to this fight. I was just wondering, before I let you go, do you have anything to add? And obviously, Katie's been in the cage. She's coming to your realm. Would you ever be willing to put your football skills to the test with her? I'm absolutely useless, mate. <laughs> absolutely useless at football. If I could play football half as good as I could fight, um, I'd be doing that instead of getting punched in the face, if I'm being completely honest. But no, I'm, I'm useless at football. She'd, she'd make a mockery of me. So um, I'll stick to fighting. I'll stick to what I'm good at and leave the, um, leave the football to the pros. Yeah, fantastic fighter. Jack Cartwright, isn't he, Rob? I mean, we love seeing these Manchester lads get big opportunities. He's going to be fighting at the Manchester Arena on November the 4th, which will be Saturday. So a big, big occasion. And we hope to see a lot of the Sports Zone listeners there. He obviously compared himself to Lissandro Martinez, a big Manchester United fan, but also a massive boxing fan, as well as MMA. He used to love watching the likes of Ricky Hatton. Now he's got his opportunity to fight in the arena where Ricky Hatton beat Costa Zoo. A massive achievement for him. Yeah, it's it's dreams. That's what it's, it's, it's what dreams are made of, James. He, he'd have thought about this growing up and going through his career, and to be uh, able to fulfil a dream like this is is great uh, for him and and his and the sport. Uh, you're hoping there'll be more to come from him, uh, bigger and, and better things, and uh, we'll be following on the sports zone. Yeah, we absolutely will be. Now it's time for another interview, Rob. This time I spoke to Paddy Houlihan. He has been coaching Team Ireland on Octagon Challenge, which has been a fantastic reality TV show. We talked all things Ireland, all things Irish music. This is a cracking interview. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So here's Paddy. Thank you very much for joining me, Paddy. It's deeply appreciated. You've been shining on Octagon Challenge, England versus Ireland. 
the star of the Irish team, the coach. Firstly, before we get into your fighters, can you tell me a little bit about the fighting spirit that the Irish have? Oh, it's in our blood, as they say, you know. <laughs> so I think I think it's just it's it's in the Irish nation to um it's probably the best gift we've got from England um <laughs> is the ability to to to, to never back down and, and always give up. And you'll see it in nations across the world basically where um oppression and stuff like that has been implemented. Um the people I don't know the, the traditions, the music, the 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 culture, all of that stuff, you know what I mean? Is um I feel I'm fairly full of that, you know. Um if you say what some of the Irish looks like, you could point at me and um, I wouldn't get offended either, but uh, I'm fairly <laughs> I'm fairly the, the epitome of, of, of Ireland, yeah. And uh, and I love my country with all of my heart. I'm glad you mentioned the music there, because I think we all love a bit of Irish music, and hopefully that's embedded in all the lads that you were coaching. A cracking bunch there. Got a great bunch of lads. What a great you can see the camaraderie straight from the start. Um do you know, you actually it doesn't come across in the show, and I forgot that they wouldn't be able to play it. But but all of the sessions were um, like a lot of like the pogues and like you know the wolf tones and um, so a lot of the sessions were full of like I think even some of the staff were like I like this. <laughs> Obviously, I imagine a lot of the crew probably Slovakian, so they were all getting into it, right? Oh yeah, deadly yeah. So just, it, it, I think Irish music travels the world. You know what I mean in that way as well. And Irish tradition. That's one thing we've always done. Um, there's a great saying, as I said on the show as well, we don't invade the world, we infest it. Do you know, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a nicer way to do things. All of a sudden, you've got an Irish friend here and there, and, and there you go. You know, you go anywhere in the world, you'll see a, a, an Irish man or an Irish woman, um, you'll find them. You know, it could be you know, Australia, um, um, Chicago, uh, Boston, and many, many cities all over the world, you know what I mean? Um, the Irish are there. And, uh, and we built most of them. <laughs> that reminds me of the High King song, wherever you go around the world, you'll see an Irish pub. Oh, 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. I, I think Slovakia was actually an Irish pub around the corner for me where I was living. <laughs> um, I only found that in the last few weeks, probably probably good anyway, for the last week or so, but that was probably for the best. Because the prices... They're not cheap. <laughs> They're <laughs> Irish prices as well to make you feel like you're at home. Well, at least you got a sense of being back in Ireland there. Obviously, coaching alongside Shemrock, he's got this crazy story of being accused of a crime he didn't commit, going all the way to Malaysia, a decade on the road. What's it like to work with him? And the whole thing's gone full circle, right? Because he's taken on a police officer. Oh, this is how cool is that? Um, back in the time, back in my own career, I actually fought. Um, Someone who was 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 in the RUC basically, which would have been uh, the the police in the north of this country, you know. So uh, I share a little bit of that with him, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm going wherever that fuck is. I'm, I'm there, I'm watching <laughs> it. Um, what an incredible story Sham has, you know. And it was great to actually pick his mind on some of that story, and because uh, I knew a little bit of, uh, about it, um, and it was great to pick his mind and, and sit down. And then on on martial arts as well, you know, he's a he's a true martial artist, true student of the game, and. Um, yeah, and a proper scouser, you know what I mean? So he's a very interesting dude, and it was great to pick his, his brain on some things, you know what I mean? Even even on food and nutrition and stuff, considering he doesn't eat meat and uh, how to be staying in shape and making weight and stuff like that and all. So, yeah, he was a, he was a great lad to, 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 to be part of the side. And very crafty, too, because on the challenge where he did the go-karts, he had his hand over the glass, didn't he? Oh, you don't know anything about that. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. Uh, I, I didn't know comment. Uh, I see Brad do it though. You know. Wow. Okay, that is a revelation. 
you know, that's what that's what listen, come on. It was from lion to lion wins that race. That's it. They started on the line, we started on the line, and they looked at the back of our heads for five laps. So I'm taking that as a win, yeah. I'm taking that challenge <laughs> as a win. If they want to use all the the, 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 the water spilled or whatever, it's their own uh, that's their own thing, you know what I mean? But we won that race, lion to lion, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's it like working with Brad Pickett? Obviously, a bit of camaraderie, I imagine, with both of you coming through UFC at similar times, both legends. And for you, this whole thing must be crazy, right? The first fighter from Ireland to ever step foot in the octagon. And now you've seen the likes of Conor McGregor come through. And now this next generation on this octagon challenge, England versus Ireland. Yeah, um, Brad's, a, Brad's a legend, you know what I mean? Um, I, I think, I think we're, we're very different people, you know what I mean, when it comes to kind of like interest and stuff. I think... We'd probably be very interested in the same way as like where he's obviously fairly um in, in his family and I am with my family and stuff. And I would say we, we we have a lot of understanding there, but then I think a lot of stuff and interests um say with history and all this kind of stuff, uh, I'd have a lot more interest in that. I think that would Brad would so a lot more switch on and um so we didn't get any many good conversations there about that thing. But um regarding fighting and MMA, uh yeah, he's a he's a great lad. Um I remember saying this to, I think Brad fought on UFC Dublin as well. So um, I got off the bus and I remember saying to him, mate, I used to go on the hop from school uh, to watch your fight on Cage Rage. <laughs> I used to <laughs> just knock out the school and stay up all night, basically, and tell me, man, I did, I, I did went to school to stay in bed. She'd be gone out early in the morning. And yeah, so yeah, Brad's a, Brad's a legend. You know what I mean? He's been around, he's been around a long time and uh, he's fought some, some great dudes and, and got some great wins as well. But um, yeah, but. It was a, it was it was good to to, to have him as a, a an opposition coach there. You know what I mean? There's lots of lots of respect as well, mutual respect. Band that was good, but it didn't go too far between me and Brad. Absolutely. And you've got this one fighter who is getting under everybody's skin. Dennis Frimpong. <laughs> He's had this rivalry of Hassan. I mean, when I was talking to Brian Lacey, I compared it to the greatest rivalry on reality TV since Will <laughs> Young and Gareth Gates. It's something pretty special. I mean, what do you make of Dennis as a competitor? Listen, Dennis is a very intelligent man, you know. People might think that he's just talking the talk, but he knows how to prod the bear, you know. Um, we're not playing tennis. That's why I always remind <laughs> people. This ain't tennis, you know what I mean, in a way. So um, you're going to be punching someone in the face. And what did he say? If you're, if you're the, the stands you say, the idea is, is if you can irritate your uh, your uh, your enemy, do. Do you know what I mean, in that way? So if it benefits you to irritate them, irritate them. And if it doesn't, don't, don't. So, uh yeah, I think he's very good at that, and um, I don't think it, it puts the pressure on him. Where I think that can be a difference with some people. Some people they prod the beer, but it actually puts a lot of pressure on them. I think he, uh, he does really well at just laughing that off and then doing the business when it comes to there. So uh, yeah, no doubt he was um, a serious character on the show, and I was reminding the guys all the time of like, listen, how this comes across on television is might be different than how it's coming across <laughs> in your head. So so uh, just. No, there's a lion. Find the lion and, and stick to it, you know. And uh, Dennis's lion went like this, out and then back <laughs> in. <laughs> I mean, this interview is going to go out after tomorrow night's show. So by the time this interview is ready, we know that George will be in the final, taking on Dennis. Such a juxtaposition of characters, as you said. Dennis, this bad boy, this trash talker, this intelligent man. George Stage, on the other hand, a geek who loves Lego, loves Star Wars. This is the perfect blend, right? Yeah, it's it's like I don't know, it's like night and day, isn't it? With the idea of um, I think two people. I don't think Dennis is a uh, is, is it the Lego uh, or <laughs> like this, you know what I mean? So in a way, and 
and not, no hard feelings for, for George being into Lego, you know what I mean? People can do whatever they want as long as they don't know me. That's the way that's my rule of the life, you know what I mean? Um yeah, what a fight this is gonna be, you know. Uh, George is a, is a serious kind of prospect in that way, but he's he's very good at what he does. Um I think Dennis has the ability to, to, to bring him outside that comfort zone and, and make it a bit of a dog fight. And if it turns into a dog fight, I think there's only one dog there, you know, uh, that, that, that that's coming away with that win. And then the other big fight on the bill, Hassan, who we mentioned, a great character, fantastic throughout the show, initially prodding all the Irish lads and then Dennis verbally assaulted him for pretty much the entire duration <laughs> of the show. But a great character in his own right, a big lover of Snickers bars, I believe, in between his training sessions. He's taken on your lad, Aaron, came across brilliantly, top lad. This is a great fight as well, isn't it? Yeah, that, uh, and Aaron, Aaron has been gas on the show, I have to say. I think one of the times, it comes back to me and I still be laughing here thinking of it, uh, when he's like, we got a new cleaner, her name's Hassan. What a lawyer. And you're just walking into the house, mind your own business. You know, they're the ones that you have to catch. So, whoever caught that in the camera, they deserve a, a rise. You know what I mean? His name is Hassan. But the good thing is, you throw the stick and then, and then they get to fight each other. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, and Hassan is a good lad. You know what I mean? Hassan is a. I think he, I think he didn't know what he was in for with the Irish. You know what I mean? I think. Maybe he thought he could be a little bit intimidating and stuff like that in that way, but then realizing that it doesn't work over here, you know what I mean? We don't we don't do that. Um being intimidated would kind of like push us on to be like, Go on, come on. And then you have to do what you say you have to do. So uh, but yeah, no, Hassan's a good lad as well. And I got I got over Hassan. Um but that's a great fight. That's a great and Ireland and this is an incredible scrapper, you know, an incredible fight. He's well rounded. Um yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing that fight as well. So um, a little bit of a more rivalry and Hassan gets to, um, I don't know what, get some credit back against the Irish. I am art fought again. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this unfolds on November the 4th. And throughout your career, you've worked with some amazing fighters. And I know he's not been on your team, but Akon Wanless brings something a little bit different to the table because not just is he a fighter, but an actual Jedi as well. What's it been like to be on a show with Akon? You mean stripper? The, the, the stripper, the stripper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that Jedi stuff came from. That's off the wall as well. He said, he's a grown man. Not a Jedi, bro. Not a Jedi, right? No such thing as Jedi. I <laughs> know <laughs> Akon sound as well, yeah. We knew, knew Akon before the show. He'd been over training. Um, we'd met him in Ireland before as well. And um, yeah, I think Akon has a little more respect for myself as well. But um, yeah, he's definitely a character. He's a... Uh, He's a, but he's not a Jedi. No such thing as Jedi's. Well, when I next say Akon, I'll have to let him know that he's not a Jedi, which will probably leave him deeply upset, but hopefully he wins <laughs> his fight and uh, he's happy about that. Paddy, I really appreciate you giving me some time. It's been fantastic to talk. All things Octagon Challenge, Irish music, Irish spirit. It's been great. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to add? No, I just want to say um, fair play to all the lads. Basically, I think they came across really well. You know, it's a, it's not an easy uh, format to be in, and um, to to Pavel and Andre and uh, and Brian Lacey and all the staff at, uh, at Octagon were, were incredible. You know what I mean to work with, and uh, yeah, we look forward to working with them again. Um, and I will be there on the fourth of November. So uh, if anybody wants to um, ask any questions or anything like that, I'll be there. I tell you what, Rob, it was great getting a little bit of a 
history lesson from Paddy there on all things Ireland. Irish music obviously being massive to him. He introduced it to the Slovakian crew out in Bratislava, which is pretty hilarious to hear about. If you were to give me some of your favourite Irish bands or Irish songs, what would you opt for, Rob? Favourite Irish bands? Um, yeah. I'm probably going to go Westlife. Westlife. Made some bangers there, James. You know, ever uh, evolving. Never don't they age like fine wine, don't they? You know, people like that. Uh, that's they're very good. Uh, but you know, all these interviews you've had this week, James. I'm beginning to think if our listeners haven't spoke to you this weekend, uh, they're not doing it right. You seem to have spoke to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I just try my best to speak to everybody. I mean, if there are any <laughs> listeners out there that would like to come on the show, always feel free. I mean, yeah. we enjoy we enjoy that sort of stuff, don't we, Rob? You do. We do. It's great. Obviously, you know, we love covering all the sports, different sports in the in the, in the city and, and in the country, uh, James. It's certainly, a, you know, a, a fantastic show. We really enjoy everyone's, uh, you know, interaction with us and, and how we get these great interviews and, and great characters that get on the show. Yeah, Paddy, definitely a character. I mean, have you ever gone international, Rob, like Paddy had and introduced something of your own to them in the way he introduced Irish music? Uh, have I ever introduced? Well, it'd be kind of a, a Salford rugby-related thing. In in you know when you go on holiday and and you you get a rugby ball and and people are in a foreign land don't know what the ball's there for and what how you use it and they're quite sort of shocked about you know what the physicality of it all. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never. That's about as far as I've gone really with with producing new customs uh, uh, in faraway lands. Fair enough, Rob. I mean, I'm just happy to be honest that now there are Slovakians out there who know who Ronan Keaton is. That fills me with joy. <laughs> That's all about James. Our, our job is now done. Absolutely. I mean, they say it best when they say nothing at all, as Ronan Keating <laughs> used to say. But now it's time to move on to the world of rugby. And Salford Red Devils received a B rating in the IMG initial grading with a score of 13.8. You've got to be happy with that. Yeah, very, very happy with Salford's IMG B rating, James. 13.80, broken that down. We've got 4.5 for fandom, 3.43 for performance, 2.15 for finance, stadium is 1.83 and community is 2.25. Now, James, that's a, a random amount of numbers. I accept that. And people are almost probably listening thinking, why is he shouting telephone numbers out? But it's the way rugby league is going. They need to have a strong uh, league and a strong sort of sport. So they managed to get through this uh, IMG um, process. All the clubs managed to uh, look at all the finances and all the, how the, their clubs are structured. And Salford have come out eighth um, in the whole country, which is fantastic. Uh, the credit goes to the likes of Paul King and Ian Blees. Behind the scenes, the Salford Devils Foundation, who have all you know worked hard to put Salford in eighth place, ready for the IMG uh, ball rugby uh, competition to roll into 2025. Hopefully, if Salford can continue uh, to improve, they'll get that A license and uh, you know certainly guarantee a spot in the Super League in uh, next season. So, if Salford didn't get the A grade, who did? Top teams like Leeds, St Helens, Wigan, Warrington, Hull, KR, Hull FC and Catalan, uh, James. All big teams with big support, with you know very uh, deep pockets when it comes to, to money. Uh, they are the pinnacle of our sport and the ING want to build this league around them. And you're hoping that Salford can continue to sort of 
improve in these certain areas and reach that A target. If you manage to get an A rating, you're guaranteed your Super League spot. So, naming some of them teams, Rob, some are obviously rivals of yours. Is there any of them that's irked you that they've got an A and you think, ah, oh, we should be up there? Well, I look at all Kingston Rovers and, and I suppose they've worked hard over the last couple of seasons. They are a similar club to, to us. Um, you know, very, you know, good owner in Neil Hugel. Uh, he's, he's, you know, got deep pockets. He's, he's able to finance the club. Uh, but it's not a, you know, a, he isn't a multi-millionaire kind of owner. He isn't throwing money, silly money at the club. He, he, he's hoping that the club works uh, for itself and generates cash as well, which is important. So, yeah, I look at all Kingston Rovers and think that we could be a, you you know, in a similar mould to them in that A uh, rating. So who should be worried right now about their Super League status? I think the likes of Casford Tigers are, you know, in deep trouble. Obviously, they made an error in their calculations. The RFL made an error as well, which dropped them down to 13th in, in the league uh, of, uh, of teams. Um, and yeah, if that stays as it is, they will be out of the Super League. Uh, Classy Cass have been a mainstay of Super League for so long. Uh, but seems like Father Time has caught up with their stadium, uh, and maybe uh, you know it could be time for a drop down, and we'll never know. We'll see what happens. What happens in the next twelve months? Can Cass uh, cling onto that you know couple of points that they've got and add to it to make sure that they secure a Super League future? So looking at our other local side, Swinton Lions, what did they get? Swinton Lions got seven point five. James, 7.21, sorry, 26th place, which is, you know, a fantastic, you know, achievement for, for Swinton Lions. That would take them to the middle of the championship, which they are, where they are now. Uh, there's a big future at Swinton Lions, just needs the, the famous old uh, Swinton Lions supporters to get back behind them uh, and that club will grow. Yeah, that's what we're all hoping for, aren't we? I mean, if we look in a couple of years' time, what sort of rating do you think they'll get there? Well, I think Swinton Lions can be, you know, very much looking at bees, uh, top of the championship, um, and then obviously further down the line, if the sport, you know, their support con continues to to grow and Haywood grow grows with them, you know, they could be an A. It would be great if Salford and were both in the Super League. It would be fantastic, uh, but it's a long road back for Swinton Lions. Uh, but we're all behind them. Hopefully, they'll get there one day. Yeah, that's what we're all hoping for, isn't it, Rob? Now moving on to the international circuit. England beat Tonga in the second test, and I imagine you must be absolutely buzzing about yeah, that. Yeah, good result for England. 2-0 um, in the test series. Now, tough opposition. Tonga needed that. Obviously, Australia and New Zealand are the top two in the country, in the, in the, in the, in the world, sorry. So to face a strong Tonga uh, team, you know, helps uh, their development. And when Australia and New Zealand do come to town in the next couple of years, we'll be ready for them. Most certainly, Rob. I think we will definitely be ready for that. Now, the Salford ladies coach, Chris Bates, has stepped down mm. ahead of the 2024 season. Is this the right call? It's a big call. Obviously, he has uh, obviously stepped down for personal reasons. He led the ladies to a League and Cup double in, the, in their first season. They beat, they beat Wigan St. Pat's in the League Cup, but were beaten by Alton in the grand final. But we're still promoted to the, the Super League, and he's done a great job, uh, you know, developing that team and developing uh, the the you know the players under him. And you, all you've got to do is thank him for his efforts. He's been a you know really good person to engage with for the sport zone, and uh, yeah, we. Wishing well, and we just look forward to see what is next for Salford Devils ladies. Have we got any any potential replacements in mind? 
it's a big question, Jade, because obviously women's rugby league is growing, you know, phenomenally. Uh, Wigan Warriors have appointed uh, Wigan old uh, ex Wigan favourite Dennis Betts as their ladies' coach. So it could be a legend of of, of, of the Salford game, someone like Stuart Little who, who might be available, or it could be the coaches who are there now. Matt Drinkwater, you know, a fantastic coach. Dawn Schofield. They could promote from within. You've got Danny Barton, who's part of the uh, Development Academy at Salford and, and the player performance at England level. So there's plenty of options for Salford to uh, to decide where who takes over this uh, ladies' uh, team. And it's going to be interesting to see how they decide who it is. And now looking back on Swinton, they have signed Reese Williams. How does he fit into the squad? Yeah, good player, Reese Williams. Uh, scored lots of tries for Salford. Uh, scored the scored a try at Wembley against uh, Leeds in the uh, the COVID final uh, where Salford were beaten. Will always be in our in our memories for that. But he was a very reliable player, and he'll take Swinton to that next level definitely. Now let's have a look at the Rugby Union World Cup. Rob South Africa picking up another victory, two back to back. What a side! Mm, great performance, both teams really uh you know playing some good stuff the the south africans deserve to win uh, new zealand you know very indisciplined uh, had a man sent off uh, for a high tackle and it, for me it didn't look like too much of high tackle but it's a strange old world that we live in in rugby union and rugby league where they look at a decision and sometimes have to give it on the rules on the paper rather than logic in in, in the stadium so yeah they had to battle hard uh, South Africa got the result fourth, um, you know, time they won the World Cup, uh, which is a record as well. So it was a, a great tournament. Uh, England got to the semi-final, uh, were beaten uh, by South Africa, uh, but yeah, they, they tried the best. England, they they came into the tournament with a you know a really bad run. People were talking about them struggling to get out the uh, the group stages, but someone like. Us, James, who are in the know, knew that England would get to the semi-final with it without even trying, uh, but come on stop against South Africa. Ultimately, they ended up winning the third-place playoff against uh, against Argentina, sorry, didn't they? Hmm. I mean, what do you make of that game? Is third-place something to be happy with? And is Stephen Borthwick the man to take this side forward? I think he, I think he is. I think there's an aging team there. He might have to get rid of a couple. Um, but... Yeah, they're a good team, England. There's lots of money involved in it. Uh, they've got lots of good players, good coaches. They are one of the top nations in the world at Rugby Union. Uh, a semi-final spot for me was an absolute gimme. I don't understand why people were worried that England would struggle to get to a semi-final. They would have got there, in my eyes, with their eyes shut. So... To be get beaten by by the eventual winners is 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 a is a I suppose a, a you know a good thing you know it dampens that that sorrow about getting beat uh, in the semi final but there'll be plenty more to come from uh, England rugby union in the future and we look forward to seeing whatever will happen I think we'll remain on the bandwagon until the next World Cup Rob mm. but now let's look into the world of football a sour note for us today Manchester United utterly annihilated. By Manchester City by three goals to nil. Devastating stuff, Rob. Yeah, beaten by Manchester City, James. Um, yeah, City with a better team. They had complete control. Harlem with a double. Uh, Man City rolls on, James. Obviously, with a sort of minute and half to go, James. What I mean, what was your thought process on, on what happened there? Yeah, I was deeply disappointed. The whole thing just just looks like Manchester United are crumbling from the scenes, and we concede goals and then Rather than fighting back, we end up 
almost given up and the whole thing was terrible. Rob, I've got to ask you quickly because this is sort of what set up our demise. Mm. Was it a penalty? Um, it was very soft when it, James, you know, I suppose it's one of them with, with VAR, they're looking at it and then the letters of the law it is. But in reality, if you're going to give away, uh, you know, if you're going to give decisions like that with a minute to go, James, you're going to have 10 penalties a game. Yeah, you are, Rob. Pretty uh, abhorrent stuff there. I mean, we, we obviously both like the idea of a game that's a little bit more hardcore, not necessarily how it is today. Manchester United crumbling by the seams. Where do we go from here right now? It's a tough task for uh, Hentag. He knows where they need to be, uh, but it's, it's going to be needed investment needed. Um, with 30 seconds to go, James, it's going to be a rough ride in the next few years. It is, Rob. We know that this isn't going to be easy and we always get this surge of momentum when a new manager comes in and realistically, there's not a quick fix. We're eighth place in the league right now and all we can do is go into that game against Newcastle. It's the cup game. Hope we get some magic and hope we get the job done ahead of Fulham on Saturday. Indeed, James. Well, we'll be talking about it next week on the Sports Zone. Big thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on your Salford City Radio. <laughs>